हेलो एवरीवन एंड वेलकम टू अवंतिका डिजाइनरिंग सीरीज और एडीएस एस वी लाइक टू कॉल इट एवरी वीक ऑन वेडनेसडे वी फीचर डिजाइन एंड टेक्नोलॉजी लीडर्स हु शेयर दर प्रोफेशनल जर्नी दर थॉट्स ऑन दर डोमेन ऑफ वर्क एंड डिजाइनरिंग वेर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिजाइन एंड इंजीनियरिंग मीट मेक श्योर यू फॉलोअर्स ऑन सोशल मीडिया इंस्टाग्राम लिंकड इन फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर एंड विद दैट लेट्स कंटिन्यू विद योर शो The base objective for any designer is to design a meaningful human experience. It goes beyond just crafting a product, a perfect combination of empathy and emotion results in a beautiful experience that is very human and apt in a use case. Such an experience will eventually foster irrational loyalty in users. resulting in many loyal customers there are many ways to go about it but a key component is understanding the human values which will lead to the creation of high customer value to know more about this theme in this episode we interact with tim kobe founder and ceo of 8 inc with over 3 decades of experience as a design leader he has worked with companies like apple tesla virgin atlantic airways and many more leading brands and that's why on our journey of discovering designering we talk to him about written on experiences hello mr kobe welcome to avantika designering podcast series it's an honor uh, to host you on our show today thank you thank you it's a pleasure to be here super So as our icebreaker question to you Mr Kobe you have worked with some of the most iconic brands in the world which of these associations has been the most meaningful experiences for you well we've we've been very fortunate i would say to work with some amazing people um you know a big part of uh what is satisfying in in this business is to be able to collaborate with with great companies um but more importantly great individuals um and it's it's hard uh not to say that the most meaningful experience was the work uh with Apple and working directly with with Steve Jobs so that has been something that um i would i would say you know fits at the at the top of the most meaningful um but we've we've also been fortunate uh to work with Virgin and to uh work with Tesla and some of the other companies that are you know very highly regarded but um uh if we're looking for the most meaningful I have to say uh 12 years every week with Steve Jobs was a was uh a very meaningful unique experience indeed and i'm sure that there are so many stories that we've read about your association with him so many multiple interviews out there uh it is truly inspiring for all of us in the world of design to uh to to hear uh, uh to to read about your association Uh, with all of these organizations and your work it's it's uh, absolutely inspiring so mr kobe you graduated in science environmental design and you are known as an architect and now a successful business leader how do you balance these different roles and mindsets how do you shift the gears between uh, you know what you what you studied uh, what you are uh, good at and 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 what you do professionally 
Um, well, I guess I guess balancing them, at least at least in my mind, is not uh, so difficult because we don't really look at things, um, you know, by category. Um, and obviously, I graduated from environmental design at, at Art Center College in Pasadena. Uh, the degree there uh, gives us a background in kind of a diverse range of things, which includes architecture, industrial design, communications, etc. But to balance those those skills that that were developed from from the education side with um, really questioning why you know why do you design things and understanding what the the purpose uh, of design really is when you get down to that it, it all comes back to the same thing and I think even successful businesses it comes back to the same thing which are you know, what, what are the outcomes you're looking to achieve for people? And what is the strategy that you're going to employ to deliver those outcomes? And then what are the tactics that support the strategy to deliver the outcomes? So it, it, it kind of ladders back in each case, always back to what it does for people. And I think that that's, that's fundamentally the, the, the touchstone that's a common thread. Well, that's an interesting outlook in terms of how do you connect the dots um, actually out there. In fact, uh, Mr. Kobe, you are an inspiration to all the designers out there. Can you take us through your journey of the last three decades of 8 Inc. and contributing to building multiple products and brands out there globally? Um, sure. I, I guess, you know, when if you look at the journey, um, we, we didn't start out knowing what we know today, obviously. And um, I think to a large degree, we followed some some core things uh, that led us to where we are today. And I think particularly if you're looking at uh, students or new companies who are, who are starting or anyone in, in the design profession, um, it goes back to trying to define what, what you think you have the greatest strengths um, as a, as a, an individual, what what are your greatest strengths? Define those, and if you if you don't yet know what they are, uh, exploring the things that that come from uh, you know point of view of what 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 uh, passion you have that's going to drive it. So we, I would say that we started out our business. You know, I, I had worked for a couple of different companies after graduating from school, but we started our business and. Each project that we received uh, was different from from the previous one. And if we were to build a business, let's say in hospitality design, it would have been very difficult because we might do one hospitality design project and the next one that we would do would be retail and then the next one would be an experience center and it would be different each time. So what what was fortunate was that we recognized at a certain point that it's not about the category or it's not about the discipline per se. That's, that's the way we think about it when, when we're studying a, a particular uh, uh, path of education. But ultimately, when you come out of that, um, you know, you're, the, the common thread becomes this, this idea of what, um, what, what is the experience that you're creating for people? What are, what are the things that they're, that they're getting from that? And so we started to kind of focus more and more on understanding people, understanding behavior, some psychology, some biology, and these, none of these things were being taught in our, 
in our design program, but the considerations that we brought to the design had to be rooted to a certain degree in that in that level of uh, uh, level of thinking. And um, when we were able to do that, we found that we would have much higher, much greater success. And so uh, it was it was sort of discipline agnostic that we didn't we didn't necessarily uh, try nor nor could we have executed everything in one in one category and grown our business. But the common category was really this idea of uh, designing human experience. What does it mean to design? What does it mean to be human and look at it from a perspective of, of engaging people in a relationship. And the third is how to define an experience that, that is meaningful, you know, differentiated and have emotional connections to people. Interesting. And I'm sure that uh, that's how you uh, bring all these stakeholders together and make a meaningful impact and experiences for the customers out there. And while we speak on experiences, your new book, reflects the fundamental belief that design is integral to everything that we do, that all human existence has been a result of progression of successful design outcomes. My question to you, uh, Mr. Kobe, is can you elaborate on this thought and also share relevant examples aligned to this? Uh, sure. I, yeah, I think, you know, when we when we look at um design and and I, I appreciate the mention of the of the book um, you know we, we talk about return on experience it means that the things that that uh, that you know people remember the things that they connect to emotionally are typically through the experience they have with it and whether that's relationships with people or whether that's experience with a product or whether that's a, a, a piece of great architecture fundamentally, um, the, it comes back to the experience that you have with it. And um, when, I, when I was in high school, I had a professor who, who uh, after we were finished drawing uh, our uh, assignments of a new building, would, would tell us that, um, or would ask the question, now, do you, do you think you understand architecture? And everyone, of course, nodded that they thought they, they understood. And, and then he went on to explain that we didn't have a clue what architecture was. We all we could do is document three-dimensional space, but that in three-dimensional space, what what architecture is is about creating uh, an experience. And so I think he said at a very early age this foundation of the the way you experience great architecture or a great pot, product or a great brand relationship um, is by the, the different touch points that you have with that. And so you know the examples are are. Are numerous in terms of the commercial uh, side of things that we've done, but I think ultimately, you know, that that belief in uh, defining human progress, defining def- the design defines progress. Um, we tend to adopt the things that work, that that have meaning, and we tend to let go of the things that don't. And we've we've done that, you know, as long as as long as human beings have been around. And so when you think of design, it's it's all part of this narrative. And I think that, that that's, that's ultimately getting, getting back to um, uh, a focus on the right things in order to ensure that the design you're doing uh, has merit and, and value. Interesting. In fact, Mr. Kobe, uh, I have heard about the concept of written on customer, but in the book, 
you talk about a new matrix of measuring business success, which is return on experience. Can you elaborate on what do you mean by return on experience and how are these two philosophies different from each other? Well, it, it's, it's not that if you're talking about the experience that you're disregarding the customer. In fact, the, the customer is at the center of that experience. It's the thing that you're creating, uh, how, how you interact with a device, how you interact with uh, a space. You know, those, those things are rooted in the people who ultimately use and adopt what you're, what you're creating. And so the experience you have with it is the way that we found to be uh, the best way to understand the things that have the most, most traction with people. And I think that that goes back to, uh, again, human behavior goes back to understanding what generates memories. You know, much of, if you look back on, on your life, you know, anyone, the things that they, that they remember are those, those highlights are typically some profound experience. The things that have been the most difficult and the most uh, exhilarating parts of your of your life fundamentally come back to uh, the experience that you had in a particular uh, point in time, and so you know experience is just one way to heighten that that relationship that you're looking to build uh, with people, and uh, to in- to ensure that that you're fundamentally creating value. Um, the only way that you're sure that you're creating value is that other people consider what you've done valuable. And I think that that's, that's a part, not just economically valuable, but it can be valuable and fulfilling in many different ways. But that has to be the root of, of your, your decision-making process. Well, absolutely well said. And um, at the end of the day, once we create the, the, the value is all uh, about um, uh, the business that exists and everything that revolves around it. In fact, while talking about experiences, you created the first Apple store at New York. And for the retail business, you mentioned retail is not dead when compared to the e-commerce business, of course. But bad retail is dead for sure. Can you elaborate on what do you mean by this? Well, you know, the the, the work in retail, we've obviously spent, spent many years, I think it's our 23rd year working with Apple. But um, the, the work in retail has always been one of the most competitive design environments out there in the sense that if you're not refreshing what you're offering every five years, you're probably behind the curve. Now, what's happened with uh, technology as well as acceleration from COVID has been this, this um, I would say, compression between channels. They used to think of physical retail and uh, uh, virtual retail, anything that's e-commerce or digital, as as separate channels. The reality is today, there's probably not one person sitting in a space that doesn't have a mobile device in their pocket or adjacent to them. So we're simultaneously connected today. There's a there's a kind of retail singularity that's happened because we tend to uh, work with whatever touch point to that company uh, uh, offers that fulfills the needs I have. So I may be ordering something online, I may be going to a space to see and touch and feel and I may, and I may, you know, visit it and then come back and, and order uh, after the visit. So th- this this continuous cycle of you know relating the touch points that you have to people and having it fit into a broader 
relationship idea as opposed to focus purely on a transaction is is where we've seen the most traction, where we've seen the most uh, economic success. You know, when, when we started with Apple, they were a $2 billion company. Now they're a $2 trillion company. But besides Apple, we can point to many cases uh, that we've worked with in, in other sectors from automotive to finance, insurance, you know, all kinds of different design sectors, even government, and point to, you know, successful outcomes um, as a result of this approach. Hey, did you know in the International Design Award 2021, 8 Inc. won a bronze award in the architecture category for their work on the Weltmeister Experience Center? Well, absolutely uh, well said. In fact, while we continue to talk about the human experience design, can you share with us the most valuable component of human experience design and a company that you think has achieved success in creating the same for its customers? Well, um, I think it's it goes back to to um, to not not having a kind of siloed thinking. Again, you know, if we think of experience realms, well, let, let's start at the very center. If you're talking about uh, people, you want to connect with people. Uh, if you're a company or you're selling something or you're or you're you're looking to provide a service. Um, the values that you have and the values that the people you want to connect with have, um, there has to be some sh- shared sense of values that uh, the things that you believe Apple or Virgin or Tesla stand for, if you if they share your values, you, ha- you have a natural opportunity for a successful relationship. And the only way that relationship can really thrive is if you think about it as a holistic experience that the environments, whether that's the architecture or the interior design, the products and services, the behavior of the staff, uh, the forms of communications, you know, all of those four experience realms uh, to us are at the root of the types of, of things ha- that have to be considered in order to deliver a holistic experience. And I think companies that do that well, um, you know, um, aside from Apple, obviously, I think Nike does a great job at that. Um, you know, a small brand from Australia called Aesop, which is a health and beauty products kind of um, uh, uh, manufacturer. Um, they, all of these companies who have this this point of view of connecting that, uh, end up with you know better performance in terms of of that that strong relationship and that strong relationship ends up um, with rather than focus on one transaction you focus on a relationship and you end up with with many transactions so your your business outcomes are reinforced by delivering on the human outcomes well interesting and what is exciting uh, mr kobe here is to see the fact that we are talking about uh, you know even smaller companies actually uh, applying some of these principles at their work. And it's not just restricted to large companies with large design departments, but even smaller companies using some of these um, uh, some of these tools. So I think that's that's very exciting. No, it, it, it's not limited to large companies. Uh, a lot of people think that maybe they, uh, they, they can't compete with the large companies, but um, I think it has to do with uh, framing framing that relationship properly. And being able to, um, you know, define, you know, why you, why you should exist, 
and why you know why people should care. And if you're able to communicate that, um, um, you know, you'll, if it's something that people need, you should you should have good success. Obviously, there's there's a lot of other factors that go into making successful business, but I do think that um, if you look at it from a strategic design perspective, that's really um, a great a great foundation or a great starting point. Um, if you think of you know when when Google started, you know the greatest uh, innovation, the most customer centric thing that Google ever did was create a rectangle, and the idea that you could put anything that you're looking for into that rectangle and get an answer. Uh, it 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 was adopted by so many people. It's the reason the company is is where it is today, but it it's been their their most successful. Uh, business model economically, um, as well as uh, the thing that's powered their growth. And I would just add that that you know that that sort of insight, that kind of simplicity, uh, sometimes seems so easy, but um, it's we we have a tendency to uh, overlook the simple things and and add complications when in fact most people aren't looking for complexity. They're looking for something that just fulfills the need they have in the most effective way. Interesting and well said. In fact, one of the other things, uh, Mr. Kobe, uh, that I also uh, read in the description of your book was, can you elaborate on the concept of creative emotional intelligence? Well, I think, you know, most most uh, companies maybe struggle with um, understanding the power of, of, a, of a, having a creative component to their business. Um, you know, uh, I think it's probably the, one of the most powerful business tools that a company has, but many people struggle to, um, to actually um, know how to, how to use creative services in an effective way. And a large part of the problem is that, that people who are creatively oriented uh, struggle with linear linear thought processes, and I think that what what we try to do is to uh, put together small diverse teams, uh, and by putting diverse teams together, it it does a couple things. One is it it moves away from this idea that that there's this star architect or star designer, but there's ultimately a small group of people is much more powerful than a single person and that what it tends to do is help mitigate some of the natural imbalance that comes from kind of singular pointed ideas and as it as as teams work together and develop they tend to grow their emotional intelligence and that means they start to, they start to understand one another and their point of view someone may come from an anthropology background and somebody may be coming from design background and some another person from a business strategy background but by working in small teams they start to appreciate the points of view that others have and ultimately successful design is going to come from understanding something about um, the things that that you know your target audience whatever you want to call your customers whatever they um, they value. And um, in order to deliver those things, I think, you know, what we try to do is to keep smaller scale teams in many parts of the world, um, probably uh, in, at least in, in Singapore, we have, we, we serve so many countries out of the Singapore office that uh, diversity is one of the 
the key things in our in our group because we need insights not only from from gender and race and other other things like that, but we also have to have the cultural diversity to serve a market that's that's um, as diverse as the the ones that surround um, you know surround Singapore. Absolutely. In fact, um, uh, with with the uh, global borders actually diminishing, uh, the internet actually connecting to the world. We're talking about um, you know a very connected world and. Uh, today, if there's something that happens in, in, in one country, we can feel the impact in the other one. And, and that's why being, uh, you know, in terms of being inclusive, being, uh, being very conscious about diversity in today's world is extremely important. Mm-hmm. In fact, this brings me to one of my next uh, questions, uh, Mr. Kobe, is that most companies fail to identify customer value. What is your recommendation to hit the nail on the on, on, on its head and create products that actually address customers' needs? Well, it's it's a bit what I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, which which has to do with you know companies need to understand why they exist, and fundamentally, you're either creating value or destroying value. That's that's essentially what. Um, most states of business exist within and if if you're extracting value from something that you've already created that's fine but you're ultimately slowly destroying value so whether that's you know um an, uh, you know the 50th evolution of a particular product um those things tend to uh fundamentally have uh, a limited uh life if what you're looking at is creating value then you're looking to define things that continually uh, improve the human experience, improve the world around you, improve the, the you know, a simple interaction, whether that's, you know, uh, sitting in a, in a chair or, or uh, f- f- flying a drone. Um, you know, I think you, you have to understand where value creation is occurring and, and then be conscious of, of whether you're continuing to grow and expand that that value, or if you're you're sort of uh, taking it easy and, and living off of value they've already created, in which case you start extracting value. And I think most companies go through those those types of cycles. Absolutely. In fact, one of the other interesting parallels that I wanted to draw here, Mr. Kobe, is how we've evolved over a period of time on some of these important concepts. The conventional models spoke about customer satisfaction. Then we started talking about customer delight. And in fact, you have used the term called as passion. My question is, how are these different approaches? And can you share a successful example of customer passion? Well, I think, you know, when, when we talk about passion, um, you know, it, it comes from something that, that um, and I think it's, it's probably one of the chapters in the book, but the idea of, of irrational loyalty that when you have a successful relationship, um, you tend to be very loyal to that relationship because it's one that you value and it's, and it's one that you, you care about. And I think that, that it has to come from uh, a point of passion. It has to be something that, that you love. Um, if it's something that you don't really care that much about, it's going to be very difficult to, to, um, 
to elevate that relationship beyond beyond a very kind of functional level. But when you start to serve kind of higher states of, of being, if you look, you know, you look at, at um, you know, Maslow's hierarchy or any other hierarchy where you start to get more from that relationship, um, that's where the greatest connectivity can occur. And I think it's, it's more than just putting them at the center or, you know, are they satisfied with the experience? It, it you know, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of things uh, satisfy you because you, they, it's what you expect. The things that you tend to really uh, connect with are things that more than satisfy you, but give you, give you something more than you expect and provide some level of additional value that makes that relationship uh, even more important. And, and that's where, you know, you, you have, if you, if you design a successful uh, outcome, you know, the statistics are you have something like six times uh, greater, uh, you know, conversion in terms of, in terms of sales or, or interactions. Um, you have um, much greater advocacy or word of mouth. Um, you even have five times more um, uh, success in people forgiving you when you make a mistake. Uh, so you can go out as a company and every company makes mistakes, but when they do, um, if you've created that that strong relationship with them, they're more likely to forgive you for that mistake than to move on to another competitor. So all of these things ladder back to uh, trying to drive towards passion and creating that irrational loyalty. That's where we see um, see again uh, the most success. Interesting. And any one company that comes to top of your mind, which which follows the practice of customer passion. Well, you know, it, it, it comes from multiple touch points. And I think that there are ones that, that I consider that I'm passionate about. Um, but that might be different than the one that my neighbor believes is, is that they're passionate about. In fact, we do workshops with our clients where, uh, in the, in the workshop, we ask them to bring in an example of a brand that they, that are a company that they, they care about and, and to tell us why. And we've done work with, you know, top fashion brands, top jewelry brands, and electronics. Um, and what's interesting is the thread that runs through what makes people passionate about a particular product. And sometimes it's um, it, it depends on, on where their interests lie. And so having a deeper understanding, and this, and this, this goes back to ultimately when you establish a relationship with a, with a company, what you want to do is establish, as you do in any relationship, much more of a dialogue than, than a monologue. Many, many companies talk to people. What, what we're always looking to do is to have uh, a conversation or a dialogue with people where information goes out and information comes in. And the most successful companies in the world, if you look at, at you know, Google and Apple and Amazon, all of these companies, they, they have something that, that they benefit from something that Scott Galloway calls the new algorithm of value. And what that is, is they have more receptors from which they can derive information. And the more you posture that into a dialogue, the more there's an exchange of information, the, the better, more competitive you can be uh, with your peers. And if you look at those companies who do have these receptors and in intelligence, um, they get to provide a better product and a better experience with their customers as a result. Hey, did you know 
Eight Inc. joins the list of the world's most visionary, influential retail and experience design on the announcement for the 2019 World Retail Awards finalists. Shortlisted for outstanding store design for both Nissan Crossing and Globe Life. Interesting. And moving from this to an another interesting dimension is how is the world of technology shaping your design approach? Does it turn it upside down? Does it seamlessly fit it as one of the components in the overall design? How is how's technology blending in with your design approach? Well, uh, we've we've always used technology coming originally from Silicon Valley and and uh, working uh, a lot, you know, with technology companies. Um, the the progression of technology for us has been quite interesting. You know, if you look at the the Moore's law uh, definition of the evolution of it, the fact that we're we're in a exponential kind of growth in the in technology uh, makes it very fascinating. But it also makes it um, in some cases terrifying for people. And I think that the rate of change that people are experiencing today, particularly in technology, but but in other areas, um, starts to uh, implicate uh, a challenge in in um, adoption, a challenge in um, people becoming proponents of technology. There's certain certainly a degree of backlash uh, to technology that exists. But from our point of view, um, technology is always something that we, we have to be curious about. We have to be looking at how it engages the things that we're doing. Uh, in retail, many people consider you know, e-commerce a huge disruption. In fact, we, we, we see it coming together in this kind of singularity where, where you just naturally uh, have technology available to you uh, all the time and therefore um, it gives you opportunities to interact in new ways. And you know, one of the things that we always hear um, is this idea that, um, uh, that there's this this kind of polar condition between um, you know bricks and mortar and e-commerce and that's only for people who are you know sort of millennial age and older um, you know we're all a generation that that had a pre-iphone and a post-iphone world but if you look at young people today um, particularly you know the the generation that's coming up having lived its entire life with technology it's not that special it, it's a bit like oxygen. They, they only care when they don't have it. And so the idea of, of technology and the perception of technology, particularly when we think of it as, as you know, mobile devices and, and 5G and all of this, all of that is something that many young people today don't see as, as transformative because it's just been there their entire life. And so I think we also we also need to look at it from from our own age and generation and recognize that our view of technology versus a view of somebody who's now, uh, you know, 22 years old is going to be very, very different. And the, the most radical transformation that's happened in, in, you know, in decades probably um, has already happened before they, they've come of age. So um, I think from that perspective, it's important to understand how technology fits within the way people live and the way people think and, and behave. Absolutely. And while we, uh, you know, keep talking about technology, one of the other interesting 
element, Mr. Kobe, is talking about the world of artificial intelligence. In fact, while you propagate design for human experiences, they say that the next user you design for may not be human. The notion of design and innovation itself is changing and the blended approach of technology and human elements with tools of artificial intelligence are changing the game. Will this actually lead to a completely different approach for designing? Well, I think I think artificial intelligence is going to have a, an incredible impact, much, much more so probably than just the availability of a device that can process information uh, that we have today. But, I, you know, um, uh, Andrew Ng at, at Stanford talks about um, AI as sort of the next electricity. When, when, when we sort of discovered electricity and started to incorporate it, we had no idea of the possible uses that it could represent. And I think today AI is somewhat uh, in a similar situation where we have this phenomenal uh, capability. I think it's still under underdeveloped, uh, you know, to a degree that, it, you know, we, it's, it's fair to say it's in its infancy. It will change rapidly, but we also don't know quite how it's going to change. And I think that many of the uses of it have yet to be to be invented. Um, and, you know, what what I commonly hear about uh, artificial intelligence is it's going to have this disruptive capability. Uh, it's going to replace everyone's job. And there's there's a lot of anxiety that can be generated by by having it threaten people's um, livelihood and, and what have you. But I think that's somewhat of a distraction. Um, I think the real challenge here is to make sure that artificial intelligence doesn't end up in the hands of a few people, but that it ends up uh, being as widespread as maybe mobile devices are today. And I think that uh, you know you you need to really be concerned about a few people having the control or the access uh, with artificial intelligence. Um, and and many are concerned that artificial in intelligence itself will take over, you know, control. Um, but you know, I think we are we're at the infancy of this and, I, I do believe that, that it's important for us to start to put uh, together a way of thinking about how to disseminate this capability into everyone's hands. If, if uh, everyone were a, were a programmer today, or if everyone had the access to all the information such as we, we have um, on Google, it's going to transform a lot of people's lives. And I think that that, that could be for the, for the much, you know, be very much for the better. However, um, it's not without some risk. And, and I think we have to just be conscious and aware of the, the values that we're setting it up behind. Absolutely. I think that's uh, beautifully uh, put across in terms of the impact of technology uh, in terms of uh, the real world. And, and um, let's, let's see how it unfolds in due course of time. And mm -hmm. while we spoke about technology, Mr. Kobe, Shifting the gear to the world of education, you're a trustee of the Art Center College of Design. In your opinion, what are the changes that education in the design should make and produce quality talent for today and tomorrow? Well, I, you know, one of the, the challenges of any educational structure is um, deciding what to teach. You know, what, what will people need to know? And it's always been uh, uh, 
a um, somewhere between an art and a science, I would say. Um, doesn't matter whether it's a design school or or Harvard or any other school. Teaching, you know, deciding what people should, young people should know, and what are the things that are going to be the most valuable for them in the future, particularly at a time of extraordinary change. And I, I think um, there's there's a great book that uh, 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 Thomas um, uh, Friedman wrote on. Uh, it's called it's called Thank You for Being Late. But he talks about, you know, in 2007, the, all of the technologies and the companies that came to being around that time as being a very transformative, uh, transformative time. And if you think about it, um, the things that schools were teaching before that compared to what they would need to be teaching and thinking about after that, um, I think many, uh, many schools and many, many, uh, uh, trustees who are deciding what what is the most important information to convey, um, it, it it would have substantially changed, and and many of them may not may not have been aware of it until you know many years later, maybe a decade later. So you know, defining a curriculum, part of it comes back to uh, establishing, uh, and particularly in the creative industries, establishing ways of thinking about solving problems. Um, because there's there's never a shortage of problems with any any new technology or any new evolution uh, progression in society, there are things that that we can do a lot better, and so it's it's getting people to be able to have creative problem solving skills, to have um, you know a, a, have the the appreciate the value of having a deeper understanding of, of one another. Um, I think these are a lot, a lot of things that will actually help us be more I would say more enlightened than educated. And I think the, the idea that, um, you know, if you're going to create quality talent, uh, uh, you know, for tomorrow, especially at a time that's so rapidly changing, uh, you need to, you need to sort of ladder back to those core, those core principles and ensure that everybody has those as baseline skills before you drill down into a, into a, a, a deep vertical, uh, to study. Well said, absolutely well said, Mr. Kobe. In fact, at Avantika University, we coined a term called as designering, which is the blended approach of design and engineering. Do you think these two domains, these two thoughts can converge on one page? And what do you think about this philosophy? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of um, cross-discipline work. Uh, one of the reasons we have multiple team, multiple small teams on design projects um, is because you know these different perspectives, particularly in expertise, whether it's in a particular category or not, um, we've always seen a much higher success rate with diverse teams than we have seen with with siloed teams. And so the premise of uh, uh, design, uh, design, what do you call it, designering? <laughs> that that is a um, you know, I took to me an essential part for any designer to, to appreciate and understand engineers and engineers to understand and appreciate designers. Um, and we, we have an exchange program with, with Art Center in Pasadena and INSEAD um, Business School where we put designers to, to learn and, and to practice with, um, uh, with people who are doing their MBA programs so that we have a combination of business 
appreciating design and, and thought and process, as well as designers understanding business needs and outcomes. And so um, I think converging these things, particularly as you get into a more uh, a latter stage in your in your career where where or in your education where you can start to bring bring those skills to bear. Um, and it and it teaches you to work in teams. I mean, we 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 did a similar program with uh, National University in Singapore uh, here, and um, it, we required that each team was made up of people from three different disciplines rather than three from the same discipline. So I I, I think it's a phenomenal um, approach that that more more schools need to look at and adopt. Absolutely, well said again, and. Uh, though I would love this conversation to keep continuing, but it brings me to my last question, Mr. Kobe. But before that, to all our listeners, do read the new book by Mr. Tim Kobe and Roger Laban, Written and Experience, which is now available to purchase online and offline stores. Definitely do catch up on his experiences uh, with particularly certain brands on the kind of value that they're creating uh, using the using the concept of experience for their customer. My last question to you, Mr. Kobe, is what is the most important key takeaway you want your readers to take home from this book and imbibe in their daily lives? Uh, wow, that's that's probably your your toughest question of the day. I would say, um, I think you know the key takeaway here is maybe uh, for people to uh, to recognize that. Uh, Design has a great opportunity to add value uh, to many parts of your life, and that um, uh, in terms of of um, it being a takeaway is that it, as a way of thinking about problems, problems, and you know one of the things that that we look at is this notion of continual learning. We know that we're never done designing; it's always a sort of narrative, and to um, you know, to to do your best at a given time doesn't mean that you can't pick it up and do it again and do it better. And so, I think you know those are those are all things that are going to be uh, positive attributes where design can really contribute to a successful living. Uh, if if you um, if you look at it from that perspective, so hopefully that's that's um, something that will have impact on the most people that we can. Absolutely, and we couldn't have ended our show on a better note than this. Thank you so much, Mr. Kobe, for joining us on Avantika Designering Podcast Series. It was a pleasure talking to you and knowing your thoughts on the world of design, customer experience, and adding value to them. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you, Rohit. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in. We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hub Hopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.